0: Minus 10. Welcome to Laser Focused. Six, five, Together, we make the impossible possible. Two, one,
1: zero.
0: Now here's your host, Renette Youssef.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Laser Focused. I'm your host, Renette Youssef, CMO and brand disruptor at Velo3D. This week, I am speaking with Bashar el CEO and CTO at Reaction Dynamics. Bashar is working in the commercial space industry with a focus on reducing the cost of Earth to orbit launch through innovative designs, breakthrough analysis and robust systems implementation. Today, we'll be discussing improving efficiency and reducing negative impacts of urban freight distribution with advanced manufacturing as well as supply chain optimization. So welcome, to Shah. So great to have you on the show today.
0: Thank you. Well, thanks you. Thank you for, for inviting us.
1: Of course. First thing first, how did you make your way to aerospace?
0: Um, in my case, it's always been uh, a dream. I always wanted to build rockets since I think I was uh, 13. Wow. Like it's one of these uh, childhood dreams and, you know, you keep pushing until you have something that works out. So it's been, uh, yeah, I, I I've been uh, pretty, pretty blessed, you know, pretty early what I wanted to do and never changed since I think I said, you know, I want to build rockets.
1: That's amazing. I love it when somebody knows what they want to do and their career path follows. You're both the CEO and CTO of Reaction Dynamics and you are building something very exciting. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're currently doing there?
0: Uh, yes. So uh, Reaction Dynamics is a company that stands on the crossroads of clean tech, but most importantly, new space. The reason why you mentioned clean tech is really... What makes us different from all the other companies that are trying to build uh, launch vehicles is that we use hybrid rocket engines. Mm. Uh, Hybrid rocket engines are characteristically simpler than your typical uh, liquid fueled rocket engines, have much less components, so that means you need much less machining operations, uh, much less manufacturing, so your carbon footprint is really reduced. On top of that, as as a company, we uh, we have the possibility of using recycled plastic as a fuel to propel our vehicles. And yes, yeah, so this is kind of what makes us different. Our goal is to be able to offer launch services at a fairly affordable cost to our customers uh, while being the cleanest and the greenest company.
1: Amazing. So what are the performance or practical benefits of being a hybrid approach or having in a hybrid approach?
0: One of the key advantages of using a hybrid, it's its really, hybrids will not replace liquid-fueled rocket engines. It's not going to have the same performance. You can be really close but it's really simplicity. Mm-hmm. A typical uh, a hybrid rocket engine will not require a turbo pump. It will not require all the complexity that goes into building the turbo pressurization system that you need to feed in the fuel and the oxidizer and the combustion chamber. A hybrid rocket engine is, is really super simple. There's very few moving parts, but they have their problems, they have their issues, and these mm-hmm. are the issues that you manage to solve as a company. Hybrids have been around since the, the 30s. Okay. We didn't invent uh, hybrid rocket propulsion. But uh, hybrids have had issues where you can really run your engine at peak efficiency only for a few seconds. You have uh, some combustion dynamic issues. You have uh, a shift in your oxidizer fuel ratio, so you start losing performance. And there's also other problems. I can talk about that for hours and hours. <laughs> but this is why hybrids have not been used as a way to launch satellites into orbit because of that okay. performance limitation because of all the other issues that revolve around hybrids. So by being able to solve those problems, you can literally open the gates of using hybrids for a lot of applications, including orbital launch. So one of the key advantages uh, why we should care about hybrids, they're much simpler than liquids. They're much less uh, failure-prone than liquids, much more reliable because there's really very few moving parts. uh, If you can really figure out how it works and how you can make it work, you can have a system that is supremely reliable, mm. very safe. So, you know, uh, detonation is not a common failure mode in a hybrid, uh, as opposed to solids and liquids. So there's some of these advantages. And uh, and also, um, by using the right manufacturing technologies, you can really add the layer of simplicity. You can enhance the okay. simplicity of hybrid, which is something that we managed to do successfully by leveraging the manufacturing solution offered by Velo3D.
1: Okay. Is it also more cost-effective because there's less parts to manufacture? Absolutely. Okay.
0: Absolutely. Our uh, rocket engines, when compared to liquid-fueled rocket engine counterparts, cost about one order of magnitude less to manufacture with the same performance thresholds. Okay. So we're able to do the same engines for one tenth to one twentieth of the cost. It's it all depends if you're talking about upper stage engine or first stage engine. But yes, that that extra simplicity that comes with the with, with using hybrids means that you can reduce your cost dramatically. You know, I don't need to develop, qualify, and test your uh, turbo pump. There's much less components we have to to manufacture. There's much less risk, much less technical risk you have to overcome, much less complexity you have to manage. The thermodynamic cycles are much easier with a hybrid to understand to manage properly. So that means your cost is reduced dramatically. So what you're trying to offer, there's a lot of companies trying to offer launch services, and lots of them are very successful. But if you have a small satellite, uh, you're kind of between a rock and a hard place. You can uh-huh. have a ride share where you will be launching your satellite on a SpaceX rocket. You end up going to the cheap, the, the, the price is really cheap. Uh, you have a really good price per kilo, but you're not launching on the optimal orbit. You're not going to, uh, you you don't really control your scheduling because there's other companies launching, there's other satellites. So it's a bit bit like taking the bus. Uh, The other option is you can have dedicated launch. You can have your own rocket with some of the competitors we're talking about, and you control your scheduling, control the timeline, control the orbit. You go exactly where you want to go. But the problem is it's expensive. You know, it's, it's like having your own limousine or your own taxi. So with what we're able to do, since our propulsion system is so affordable, that means we can have a launch technology that we can, we can feel that is really affordable. We're able to offer the convenience of a dedicated launch at a price point similar to Rideshare. So it's a bit like having a taxi at the same price you'd pay, having a limousine at the same price you'd pay to have a bus ticket. You know, So this is kind of what's enabled by that simplicity.
1: It's so awesome that you have clear differentiation so early as a startup. You know, lots of startups struggle to find that differentiation, but you managed to find it and explain it really clearly. Yeah.
0: We have been around for, I would say, the past um, five years, five, six years. Yeah. But we have been uh, really working in the shadows uh, in stealth mode simply because, you know, there's a lot of companies building launch vehicles. You don't want to be just another one. You want to be a company that has something to show for now that our rocket engines are, are being tested regularly on a full-scale basis, I think that gives us that extra credibility. When we say that we solve the problem of hybrids, it's not that it's something that's planned or we believe or we assume it's it's there. It's The engines are being tested, they're operating. But having that market fit, that the yeah. product market fit is super consequential. And also understanding how that can evolve because... You build something now, you have a solution now to a problem, doesn't mean that it's going to be the only problem you can solve with that solution. There's also other problems you can solve. And it's really, this is where it's exciting. Uh, This is where it gets uh, really interesting
1: amazing you can you can see in your eyes that you're very passionate about this <laughs> okay so you've talked about what you're doing and obviously it doesn't sound cheap right and i i also read that the canadian space agency invested in reaction dynamics which is awesome gives you a lot more credibility but can you explain about you know what your business model is and how you make money and how it helps you keep growing
0: uh, so the business model is super super simple we have amazing customers they're all looking to launch payload into orbit, they have constellations that can do amazing stuff, help fight climate change, mm-hmm. optimize uh, agricultural yields, help fight forest fires and such. What we do is we offer the right. We offer a launch service so that these customers can be in the right orbit and can operate and they can do all the wonders that they can do. We are just here to take those satellites, those precious payloads and, and launch them. So mm-hmm. the business model is super simple. Customers will come to us. They will pay us a fee. We will launch your satellite, uh, deliver the satellite to the right orbit, and, and, and that's it. Uh, we also work with brokers in a sense that there is some brokers that will come to us that will provide their customers, that will like the kind of service we're offering because we're affordable, we have short lead times and such. So we also work with brokers uh, on some cases. So yeah, it's uh, the, the business model is as simple as it can be. But what really makes it hard is at the end of the day, you're still building rockets. Yeah, it's the, yeah. like you have thin margins on everything. Uh, You have thin margins on performance. Your engine has to really run at high efficiency for long durations. Your structures have to be feather light. Uh, You have to have everything in place. Your guidance has to be efficient because you cannot afford to have uh, extra Delta V losses. You have to Mm -hmm. have, you know, minimize your gravity losses, minimize your aerodynamic losses. You have to have like everything has to be. and, And that's really, I would say moreover, it's not only the fact that you have thin margins on performance, but everything in the rocket is coupled. If you're losing efficiency on the engine, that means this and this and that is affected. Like everything you do, everything where you're not 100% efficient, you end up losing payload mass, payload okay. mass, payload mass. Okay. Your cost is increasing. So it's not your cost per kilo is increasing. But yeah, to, to answer your question in a very uh, brief way, the business model is very simple. Customers will come to us. They will pay us a, a launch. They'll buy launches from us. Uh, we will take their satellite, integrate, launch, And that's it. Uh, And this is how we make money. For now, we're focusing on launch because this is where we offer the most value. Mm -hmm. But being able to have access to Orbit is is really something that's really precious. And uh, something we're looking at is uh, we live in Canada. Canada do not have uh, orbital launch capabilities. And our goal is to be the Canadian company that can provide launch Orbit to any company. We are focusing on the Canadian market first, first and foremost, because it is an underserved market when it comes to launch. Do we want to expand? Do we want to talk to U.S. customers? For sure, but we are focusing now on what we can do here in Canada. And and as we move, these are going to be nice problems that we will have to think about later on.
1: So I was going to ask you, like, what is it like being a Canadian space company in an industry largely comprised of U.S. companies? Indeed. Are there challenges? Um, are, have you had to oh, overcome any? And learning? So I'd love to talk more about that.
0: We've been uh, really blessed and honoured to receive as much support from the Canadian Space Agency as as we did. In fact, we are the launch company that received the most support in Canadian history. We did receive a lot of support from other government agencies, uh, both on the provincial and federal level. So this is really uh, nothing to complain about. But on the other hand, where it's a bit harder, I would say, is uh, on the funding. Investors in Canada do not necessarily have the expertise to understand how a rocket works. What are you doing, you know? And when I say expertise, mm. you have a lot of really skilled mechanical engineers, aerospace engineers that end up becoming VCs. Doesn't mean they'll understand. Doesn't mean that they'll be able to have that judgment call saying, yes, this will work, this will not. So th- that's the technology aspect. There's the market. Not all VCs understand or or believe or or, or 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 see that there's gonna be literally explosive growth in the launch industry and and the market of, of you know launching satellites. There's a lot of companies. There's And 100-ish, 156 companies officially, Mm -hmm. I think it's more closer to 200 now Um, in the world. Uh, These are companies looking to launch satellites. So there is a lot of them, and not all of them will survive. In in fact, I believe 10 tops will kind of stay there. So it's it's super fierce, super competitive. So when an investor invests, they will either make a leap of faith on technology because they know that the market is there, or they'll make a leap of faith on the market because you sold the technology, but never both. So yeah. here you're kind of in that position where you have to educate and convince your typical institutional investors about the merit of the technology. But you also have to tell them that, hey, there's a big market and we believe we can be one of those winners, even if there's 200 companies, some of them with much more funding. So this is really what makes it hard. And, you know, Canadians are typically more conservative than our neighbors to the south. So it's it's a bit harder to get them. We've been yeah. really pleased with a lot of support that we've got from angel investors and early stage investors but most of these are <laughs> themselves engineers that ended up becoming entrepreneurs. They, they understand the struggles of starting a company. Even though they're not experts in rocketry, they understand how to manage a company, how to run a company, how to start a company. Uh-huh. And they see that we're doing something right. And they do that. They, they have that leap of faith. But I would say where we've had harder times, uh, it's really with institutional investors, because for a lot of reasons, I can talk about that for literally hours and hours. But on the other hand, it's harder, I would say, at the beginning. But once you start having some success it's it's nice to be in Canada because uh, being that only launch company that can you know launch satellites in orbit in Canada will put us in a very interesting position as a strategic asset to our country. So this is something that really play in our favor, but you have to get there. So this is you know you have to be climbing and climbing and pushing, but once you're there, I think it will be uh, strategically better for us, yeah, and that doesn't prevent us from targeting other markets and doing other things, but you know one step at a time.
1: Okay. What about talent? Is it harder to find talent in Canada? It's a great question. Great, great
0: question. (laughs) So it is, certainly, because we don't have that launch ecosystem as you have in the US. It's certainly been a bit more difficult to hire folks with experience, simply because that experience doesn't exist. So most of the people that we got on board, it's folks that had uh, extremely good judgment, extremely good uh, engineering sense. And we taught them how to build rocket engines. We, we had to train them. We had to show them how we do things. There's also some other expertise that you can, you know, someone who builds flight computers on airplanes, with a bit of training, they can kind of work on rockets. Someone who builds spacecraft sub, you know, subsystems and components, with some training, they can really understand what you have to do. So we've had, I would say, a bit of, it's, it's I mean, hiring these days is, is really never easy for anyone, even more when you're here. But where we've had, I would say, more luck, is hiring recently uh, graduated students. And this is where I would say uh, we've been very, very lucky in that sense. In the sense, uh, I'm sure you've heard of IREC and the Spaceport America Cup. It's a yearly competition where you uh, have to build, design, launch a rocket, etc. Lots of Canadian companies are very successful. Canadian schools, universities end up being very successful. In fact, my team won that competition three years in a row. But what happens is uh, once you win that competition or you manage to do really well, there's really not much rocket companies in Canada where you can you can work in. We're, we're one of their best choices. basically. when they win those competitions, they all want to work at Reaction Dynamics because we uh-huh. are the company. Uh, uh-huh. So this is, I think, where we're able to pick top talent out of university. But it's also good to have people with some experience. So sometimes yeah. we have to hire from abroad, which is something we learn how to do. And uh, and yeah, it's it's um... got its challenges. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. There's <laughs> plus and cons. Uh, yeah,
1: okay. So we also hear a lot about competitors, or you might not think they're competitors, like SpaceX and Rocket Lab and, of course, NASA. Where do you fit in with these big players? And do they actually help you in Canada you know, because they're proving what they're doing?
0: If it wasn't for SpaceX, we wouldn't exist, that's for sure. They showed that in the very, very, very competitive launch industry, if you're able to innovate the right way, you can have a very thriving business, which is something that was you know, unbelievable. And not only finding ways to build rockets cheaper, but finding ways to really change the equation, reusing and such, which is something that, I mean, power to them. They, they, they've done that. This is amazing work and credit to Elon for pushing. So this is something where when we talk to investors, they can see a model that was very successful. So this is an interesting aspect. When we look at other companies, Astra, Rocket Lab and such, Rocket Lab was started in New Zealand. Yeah. And having those folks pushing and having something that is, you know, they're launching satellites in orbit, it's super impressive. Knowing that New Zealand is not really known to be a powerhouse of aerospace, no. but they are creating the industry and the ecosystem around them. So, this is really great inspiration to us because when we talk to government officials here, they see that there's something that, that worked in the past. Of course, it helps. But on the other hand, these companies are also very strong, very dominant. So there's always that uh, that aspect where, hey, you know, they're launching stuff. You're not there yet. How how you are going to get there and such? So it's, it's, it's mostly positive. Again, competition is good. Com- like at yeah. the end of the day, what I do care about, I want that, you know, you, you want your customers to be able to have that launch for the cheapest price possible so that they can deploy as much of these satellites as they can, because this is where the value is. We are just a, a right provider. It's important uh-huh. to do it in a cheap way and a green way and an environmental-friendly way. But at the end of the day, it's really your customers that are harnessing Uh uh, the power of data and and, and really able to create all that wealth and all that value. So if there's competition, competition is good.
1: Good. Okay. So you mentioned you launched like five years ago, so 2017. Um, What have been some of your achievements and your biggest surprises?
0: Um, Good question.
1: (laughs) I like that you think these are good questions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So some of the achievements, uh, I, I, will, I will go with, with what I have uh, top of mind. Being able to test fire and, and, and start qualification testing on the uh, RE-2012, uh, which is our orbital rocket engine, with the very, very little funding that we managed to get, I think it's something mm-hmm. that we're all uh, extremely, extremely proud of. Uh, basically, we managed to be in a position where we're currently undergoing qualification testing of a orbit-worthy rocket engine with a few million dollars raised. Typically, a company will need anywhere between 50 to 100 to get there. We managed to do so with, you know, 10 times less. Knowing that we uh, had to learn everything on our own, we had to really make everything work our own way and have to learn from our own mistakes, but also had to develop our own supply chain, Had to teach our suppliers how to do things for, you know, for these things to, to go in a rocket engine. So this is something where, where, you know, we're not only building a rocket company, we're building the whole ecosystem that's around it. Mm-hmm. We're having exceptional partnerships with universities to train students so that we can hire after. We are funding research in three, four different fields to be able at the end to create that, that knowledge so that we can hire later. So there's, there's that that I would say it's tough, but it's also very fun and it's something that we're, you know, when you think of people publishing papers and, and all these students at the end of the day, dreaming of working at, at Attraction Dynamics, you know that you're doing something right. But also as an engineer, what I do care about and what's really what I like seeing is seeing those engines working, uh, getting yeah. to a point where it's it's functioning, like all the crazy ideas we had in the past and all the challenges we had to overcome and then see it breathe fire and just operating and working properly. This is uh, absolutely outstanding. Knowing that there is a lot of new stuff in those engines, like these engines are out of this world, but going from an idea, a concept, understanding something, understanding uh, a com- a combustion dynamics related phenomena and being able to draw all that that insight to be in a position where at the end of the day, it's all translated into a product that you can feel and touch, which is a complex rocket engine that is really working properly, is, is absolutely amazing. Other than that, uh, we do have amazing partners. I think receiving the support uh, that we got from the CSA was, was a great moment of pride because it's not something that we typically do in Canada. We, we, we're we not a launch country. We, we don't have launch capabilities. But being able to have the CSA as our greatest ally, the Canadian Space Agency as our greatest ally, is something that we're super proud of. We also have amazing partners, companies that have, you know, most of the companies we are talking to, they're all having assets in orbit. It's not like uh, startups that are just starting. It's, it's companies that have been around way before us that, that launch stuff in orbit. They see what we're doing they like it they like they understand the value of what we're doing but also they see merit in technology and this is something that, that, that really makes us i would say one of my greatest achievements something that i'm extremely proud of is the team that i have all the folks okay. all the all the brilliant people that i managed to convince to join that crazy adventure as much as as you know it's 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 not easy it's it's super tough super super tough like starting company. It's not the thing you like the, the hustle and the, the, the sacrifice you go through. it's not the kind of stuff you wake up in the morning saying, hey, you know what yeah I, yeah. I would like to skip a payroll this week or I would like to not be able to pay my people or our, it's 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 not easy or trying to solve you know there's a lot of challenges, a lot of technical challenges but honestly it's it's not the stuff that you control that's the hardest is the stuff that you cannot. Yes. It's the perception you know, it's it's when you're discussing with investors trying to really make sure that they're getting the right idea. You don't know their background. Like, we've pitched the company countless times. This, I would say, has been uh, one of the key challenges. But, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, like, uh, coming, working every day with the teammates I have, with the folks I have, saying that uh, uh, these folks are amazing. And, and, and not only that, but it's it's being able to create that something. It's, it's really, yeah. yeah.
1: I think it's really important, right, the, the people that you hire, the people that you have around you, and then actually seeing what you can do together. It really mm-hmm. makes a successful startup.
0: Exactly. And, and ha- having a team of, of overachievers, uh-huh. uh, a very, very uh, like technically savvy team that's really uh, willing to solve complex problems and take risks. This is the absolute most valuable thing any company can have. Money will come, fundraising will come. But if you have that in place, you have good processes and you're able to really solve those complex problems with, with yeah, this is this is precious.
1: Perfect. So what role has additive manufacturing played to get to this point?
0: We have been, I don't want to say indoctrinated to additive, (laughs) but we wanted to, like, we, we saw value in additive manufacturing as early as 2016. Okay. When the company was started in 2017, additive manufacturing was, it was not just a tool, it was something that we wanted to implement very heavily. What additive has done to us, a lot of things. So when you're able to reduce the part counts in a rocket engine, This is always, always a winning strategy because you're removing a lot of interfaces. You're removing a lot of potential failure points. You're removing uh, a lot of elements that that you have to machine. uh, You have to spec properly. You have to interface properly. So this is all stuff that you don't have to worry about cost. We've been able to dramatically reduce the cost of our engines, uh, but also reduce the lead time. You know, it's it's really Mm -hmm. nice to just literally press a button on the Sapphire with Velo3D and have... An engine that's literally born out of out of the <laughs> dust uh, within a week, and, and, and here you have it. You have literally after that two machining operations, and you're good to go. Orbital class rocket engine. You mate it with the combustion chamber, and off you go. You can you can have something that's literally efficient enough, cheap enough, high performance enough to propel a rocket to go to orbit. So if you wanted to do it with the classical manufacturing methods, it could have been done for sure. I don't think would be as affordable as we are now. I don't think we'd have that peace of mind knowing that you literally press a button, monitor the process, and, and you're good to go. And, and this is one thing that we also like with the Sapphire is, is, is on top of that, is, is really, it's really a complete manufacturing solution, not just a printer. So there's a lot of, you no, know, it's our first printer. So there's a lot of stuff that we didn't have to learn because it's all already there. So it's really, uh, and on top of that, all these various different manufacturing operations we would have had to have uh, uh, have we had you know the the, the typical manufacturing uh, classical manufacturing? Well, that's extra emissions that 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 we don't have. You know, the printer is, is really is literally one machine operating super efficiently. So you're cutting your emissions dramatically. You're cutting your carbon footprint dramatically. So this is something that is uh, uh, enabled by three D printing. And also, when you absorb and understand how to properly design uh, with three D printing. Uh, and you leverage all the features of the printer you're using you can start seeing some really nice mass savings you cut on the mass uh, and you know anyone who has built anything that went to orbit cutting on the mass like it's 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 the fight you're always fighting every day where can i where can i shave some mass here and there so i would say yeah reducing carbon footprint was a big one reducing the part count thus reducing cost and complexity mm-hmm. and increasing reliability was a good one and, uh, and and cutting on the lead times. Uh, this is also something that that we uh, we leverage a lot, and yeah, uh, something that I, mentioned, I didn't mention specifically. But you know, since you have less parts, you're more reliable. If, yeah. if you know how to make everything work properly, yeah, reliability increases dramatically.
1: So, how did you decide on a AM provider? Was it the things you just mentioned, like reliability, being able to consolidate parts, or was there something else?
0: The first. Um uh, challenge we wanted was really size. We wanted to have a big okay. 3D printer that can print big areas. You, you, you are really constrained by what you can manufacture when you're designing something. If, if you are designing a rocket engine or launch vehicle that is uh, bigger than something that can be manufactured in a cheap and efficient way, you're doing it wrong. You have to look at what can be done efficiently, what can be done in a cheap way. You know, you can even push the envelope and innovate on manufacturing and, and, and you know implement new manufacturing methods, but we're in the business of building launch vehicles. So the, the, the 3D printed stuff, I'm sure there's people that can do it much better than we do. So we innovate on you know propulsion structures, on on anything that has to do with launch technology. So we reached out to Velo. Uh, we reached out to a few companies, but what Velo had to offer was really uh, by far what we liked the most. It's, it's really the overall solution that they can bring forth. It's it's the simplicity of the use of that printer, but also being able to have a zero degree angle overhang. That is something yeah. that we leverage dramatically to cut the mass. We managed to cut the mass uh, in a crazy way because of that feature. As as sim- I don't want to say as stupid as it is, but this was something that was big for
1: We hear it a lot. We hear that a lot, actually, so it's not stupid. So we've heard from other guests in aerospace that getting to space takes a lot of planning and execution. How do you look to optimize your supply chain while actively manufacturing your parts?
0: So as a company, we're trying to be as much as we can uh, vertically integrated. Okay, Having that printer means there's five, six machines you don't need to buy anywhere. So uh, if you want to be vertically integrated, well, you have to be mindful of all the equipment you have to acquire, all the expertise you have to have in place to be able to manufacture everything. So that printer was really a, a very elegant solution in the sense you think of your manufacturing from the standpoint of what needs to be done before and after printing. And the remaining elements that we need to look at, it's something that that industry here can provide. Of course, we are Making our own pressure vessels, we're making our own so there there's really going to be a lot of elements that we want to do in-house, but having uh, additive manufacturing was really something that allowed us to simplify dramatically supply chain. You have to have a good supplier a few good suppliers for whatever powder you're using and it's you know it makes your life way easier way way easier. You don't have to manage all the different machines and everything but anyways, all, all that to say, we do care about being vertically integrated. And having the added manufacturing element added to what we do is, is really a key enabler to reduce supply chain management and such.
1: Ah, uh-huh. okay. And so what are some of the ways of improving the efficiency of open freight distribution with the use of additive?
0: It's a good question. So we're lucky to have uh, a few great suppliers or, 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 or basically companies in Quebec that do make powder, so we can really keep our supply chain rather short, work with local suppliers so we can kind of overcome uh, typical supply chain issues that everybody's going through now. So having the additive manufacturing solution from, from Velo 3D with the Sapphire helped us alleviate a lot of the supply chain issues that everybody's going through. So this is something that we're you know solving two problems at the same time, overcoming supply chain, but also cutting your costs.
1: I love it. How have you seen the aerospace industry evolve over the course of your career?
0: The aerospace industries is typically very, very conservative in adopting new trends. New, it's super innovative, but from yes. going with a good idea, like starting, you know, like TRL four five ish to having something that is really uh, flying, aerospace. It's it's typically it takes a bit. I mean, understandably, when you're flying people, flying payload, you have to be mindful. You have to be careful yeah. about that. What I see has been. Uh, like an interesting shift was really the adoption of additive manufacturing, uh, like at a scale, a lot of companies design around additive now, which is really good because again, you're cutting emission, you're cutting your cost. Uh, it's 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 really a great way to move forward. We've seen a shift uh, with regards to, it's, it's a funny trend because there was a big push towards composites. Now it's a mm-hmm. bit as if there's maybe less, I I don't want to say less of an interest. There's certainly still very strong interest in composites. But there's also, you know, additive has enabled other things that can be very complementary to composites. And we're talking here about additive manufacturing, not only for metals, but also for polymers and such. So I think it's been really the dramatic innovation in manufacturing methods. But also the big, literally like the, the explosive growth we've seen for small sets, everything is getting smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. There is some really interesting miniaturization trends in a spacecraft that, that's really changed the paradigm. Instead of having a few big, high-performance satellites, you can have very similar capabilities with a bunch of smaller ones that are cheaper to make, cheaper to manufacture, faster to make, faster to manufacture, but also the qualification process. Like, you don't have to, you know, your, your spacecraft doesn't cost you $2 billion. If something doesn't work, well, no problem. You can launch another one. You can build another one. And this can be done really quickly. So I I think maybe on the space side, this is really where we've seen some interesting paradigm shifts. And on the aerospace side, more generally, I think it's it's multi-manufacturing, I would say. We're much more deeply involved in the space part of aerospace. So I'll cover the stuff that we touch and that we feel.
1: Cool. And have you got anyone that you admire in this space and why?
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, we're all, I do have a lot of admiration for Elon Musk for what he's done. Have immense admiration for Tom Wheeler, his propulsion guy, who now started his own company. So it's it's really um, it's something to start a company. But everyone who's gone through the the daily challenges of managing, running company, taking decisions, either corporate or technical, continuously taking the decisions to really bring such a disruptive innovation to the launch industry. This is something that is you know it's a very conservative field, very conservative industry. Yeah, uh, reusing rocket. As an idea has been around since the 50s it's not new it's really not new but being able to deliver on reusability is immense like Uh i watched falcon 9 landing like the first landing i watched it live i was in the basement (laughs) uh, Uh i remember at my parents house and i was yelling screaming And i told my friends this is like the most consequential shift since we landed people on the moon because of all that it will enable later on and Reusing is not as simple as just landing a rocket. There's a lot of GNC that has to go into it, but there's also a lot of work on propulsion, a lot of work. You have to make your engines super efficient, super high ISPs, super high thrust rate ratios. You have to make your structures extremely efficient because, you know, you need to carry some extra propellants so that you can fuel the engine that will slow down your first stage so that you can land it properly. So that's extra weight, extra propellant that is not being used to give Delta V to your second stage and your satellite, so you need to compensate by having engines that are supremely efficient, structures supremely efficient. But being able to do that within you know such a short period of time, and not only that, but go from Falcon nine, uh, you know the first iteration to the fifth iteration, literally doubling payload. This is masterful. So I, I do have a lot of admiration for Elon, the team that he has. I <laughs> like Tom a lot when he's in space, like even now it doesn't hasn't changed. Yeah, so I think of SpaceX first. There's also a lot of other interesting people that I admire that are more on the spacecraft field, more on the the satellite field and such. Uh, But I'm a rocket guy, so I think of rockets.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So what are some of the important lessons you've learned up until now?
0: A lot. really, really a lot of stuff. I would say no matter how hard you think it is, it's going to be harder. Wow. (laughs) It's, it's always going to be, there's always going to be something, but you know, I, I also learned the the virtue of tenacity. It's really no matter how many times you fail, but it's really finding the strength, finding the fortitude to stand up and, and keep moving forward. Because if it was easy, everybody would start, you know, rocket companies, everybody exactly. would start companies at short. But you know, when you're building a rocket company, there's so many challenges, like technology is hard. Everything is hard. Everything is costly. Everything is expensive. Everything is so competitive sometimes I wonder like oh, why there's so many people trying to build rockets. Like it's it's really not the more profitable segments in the space industry. Yeah, there's so many, but because it's it's solving those problems are so exciting. Uh-huh. And there's really something uh-huh. I, I tell a lot of my friends, you're going to have a fever. Once you work on a rocket engine and you test fire it for the first time, there's no way back. This is what yeah. you want to do for the rest of your life. Like you've seen something work, you've given literally life to to bits of metal so once you're there and once you make it successfully run you don't want to do it. so this is why i understand where there's like 200 companies knowing that there's only 5% of these companies that will that will make it even less in my opinion so this is why i think there's a, it's it's exciting it's really very interesting field but uh, all that to say um it's important to really be to have grit yeah. when starting company when you're doing anything that's difficult i think grit is really the most important skill you can have and of course, you have to have the ability to make good decisions, but being able to have that ability to pick up the parts and keep moving forward even after you fail, that will help you develop judgment. Because if you fail once, fail twice, fail, you gain all that experience, you gain all that knowledge. But you knowing that you can stand up again, stand up again, and keep pushing yeah. and pushing and pushing is really a, a strong, strong, strong. It's it's a good confident booster knowing that you can, you know, whatever what you do, you'll find a way to make it work. So there's yeah this is I would say like it's it's most it's more important than funding it's more important and having judgment having judgment is super super important that comes from experience for sure that comes from failure failing a lot failing you know a lot of times uh, often but also failing very early on <laughs> um, the uh, engineering processes and R and D processes I can talk about that for for days and days all the things that we learned and all the things we had in mind when we started the company but that we realize we have to improve or adjust and and all the processes you have to put in place. Yet on the other hand, you wanted to, to, to still like you don't want to have your people burdened by processes, but you need to have a way to trace when there's mistakes, when there's errors, how you're utilizing those resources, and are you really utilizing those resources, and, and what's the most the highest priority? Anyways, uh, it's, it's a really big uh, big discussion that we can cover there.
1: What would you have done differently?
0: Honestly, nothing.
1: Anything? Yeah. Okay.
0: Absolutely nothing.
1: That's amazing. I think
0: I would have uh, like. There's a few things that you can maybe wonder, oh, maybe doing this or doing that, or that would have been. But I think each one of these things led us to something that was good because we had the grit and we had the tenacity to keep pushing as a team. And yeah. you learn from your failure. Like everything that we did, every time that we failed, every every, every, every scrub that we had, we learned something from it that, that was really precious that we managed to leverage and harness when we needed it you know you learned something but that's something literally saved your company two years later so if i had to do i, I would change nothing you know it's 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 fine the pain is fine the whole sacrifice and everything it's it's, it's all okay it's part of it's part of the right
1: and how do you make sure that you're disseminating these learnings like imagine at a startup where you're testing and breaking things and learning and making decisions that you have to make sure that everybody's sort of learning how do you do that what's the kind of culture that you have
0: it's a daily challenge in a sense, um, okay. you know, you, you want to move fast, but also you yes. want to document, you want to make sure that what is happening is being documented properly. So I think it's, it's, it's always a balance between how aggressive you can move, but also what are the traces that you're leaving behind with regards to what has been done, what worked, what didn't. There's always some institutional knowledge that is preciously held yeah. Uh, by the people you have around. So I think this emphasizes uh, even more the importance of, of having a strong team, uh, being surrounded by very able people. Uh, because at the end of the day, there's always something that you may not try it somewhere, but you have that guy who was there, who remembered and who knows that we shouldn't be doing this that way or that. So there's always these things. It's a delicate balance. It's, there's really no good answer. Yeah. There's really, it's, it's an ongoing process. I
1: understand. So last final question what advice do you have for young engineers who are curious about the possibilities of safe space flight and pursuing a similar path to yours?
0: That's a great question. So (laughs) because there's, there's so, so many things I would say, have a skill, Okay. find something that you like and, and really be good at it. In a sense there's, if you want to bring value to a company, or even if, say, you want to stay in academia and you... But let's talk about industry. You have to be in a position where you can solve a problem that this company is undergoing. They're having some pain points. Of course, you don't hire people to, oh, I have that problem, I'm looking for someone. But the problem-solving skills and having the technical skills, the knowledge, the expertise to be able to solve those problems is really super precious. And, and this comes from, you know, as undergrads, work on a project, do research, I don't know, do something. Like what you learn in school is really nice, but most of the engineering skills that it it wasn't learned in school, it was learned doing research and working on projects. So as soon as you can get involved with a team building rockets, get involved with a team doing interesting research, because this is really where you'll, you'll be able to mesh all those classes together and be able to have that judgment. I don't want to say expertise because undergrad, you know, there's no expertise there. Like you graduate, you're still, you know, green like an apple, but (laughs) you're at least able to go through the process of starting from something and having something that works at the end that you can touch, that you can feel, that you can break or that you've broken. So getting involved with any, because if you've been part of, you know, students building a race car or rocket or plane, whatever, you'll be able quickly to discover what you like, what you're good at. And you'll Mm -hmm. be able to further put more time into what you like and and what you're good at. So you enhance that ability to, again, solve problems that the company will care about. Because at the end of the day, you want to have folks that are able to work in a team, but are also skilled, that can really have good engineering judgment, that can innovate properly, and they're not afraid of failure. But also, you know, we'll we'll do things Mm -hmm. properly. We'll be diligent enough to just do a scientific process when you're designing stuff, not just yeah, let's do it that way. And it, if it breaks, who cares? So I think it's 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 uh, yeah, getting involved, doing something, you just learn by doing uh, whenever you can uh, at whatever project you can.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that's really important, actually, especially for graduates.
0: Oh yeah. yeah uh, sure.
1: Final question: <laughs> Will you go to space?
0: Of course, if, okay. if I had the opportunity to go to space, I would. Would yep. I be a, a, okay. a colonizer? I don't know. Uh, simply because I think I uh-huh. add more value by building rockets than by flying them. So I, I rather stay close to what I do best. And I happen to be very clumsy, so <laughs> you don't want me to be <laughs> a, a piloting a spacecraft and breaking everything. But if I had the opportunity to go to space, of course, yeah, that, that would be like, I mean, okay. it would be half right for sure.
1: Perfect. All right, I had so much fun and I learned so much, so I really want to thank you for your time, Bashar. Thanks
0: for the opportunity. Of
1: course, take care. Thank you. I want to thank Bashar for taking the time to come on the show today to talk about improving efficiency and reducing negative impacts of urban freight distribution with advanced manufacturing. Thank you for listening. And please remember to leave a review or subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Renate Youssef, and this has been Laser Focused, where together we innovate without compromise.